Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you're joining us once again. This is episode 131. We are recording this at 3 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday, June 20th. Happy Father's Day. Well, belated by the time you're listening to this. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Todd, I know you are doing the same of kind of watching the U.S. Open while we're while we're recording here. And uh, we're, we're going to know who won by the time this comes out. But uh, and maybe by the time we're done recording, we'll know who won. So or we won't know till tomorrow or we won't know till tomorrow if there ends up being a playoff. So. Uh, so, yeah, that that's a, that's what's going on there. Uh, Zach, were you watching any basketball today? Uh, not today, but last night, I think that was like the best. That, I think that was the, the best sporting event I've seen since the pandemic. That was an instant classic game. Kevin Durant, 48 points, losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. Game seven, overtime. That was a classic. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I, I turned it on for the very end of it. Um, I, I'm just excited that this year the NBA champion is going to be somebody different. I mean, we've got Clippers' sons in the, coming uh, in the West. And we've got the Bucks waiting for. I think we still don't know the winner, right? Of uh, of Nets and Hawks, Sixers, um, Hawks, Sixers, Hawks. My bad, Sixers, Hawks. And Zach, I think I texted you at one point. The Sixers are the most recent champion out of the crew, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the Bucks won with Lou Alcindor in the early seventies. But you know what I loved about that game yesterday is that it was like it was like Donald Kaufman's speech and adaptation, or his idea for a movie about car versus horse i mean like the the bucks are like the classic nba team you know you, you you build your team around big man and uh you 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 build from the ground up trust the process and then you got you know the superstar uh mecca in brooklyn and the old style won out which i was kind of glad to see i was kind of sick of brooklyn and uh i think it proves that you know teamwork family dominic Toretto would agree is is the most important thing <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I've got a couple things I want to uh, throw at you guys before we get into what we're doing here. Actually, just just really one. So I, I was able to officially tally up our top five, our site's top five of 1967 this week. And so I wanted to quiz you guys. What do you think is our top five of 1967? Dr. Doolittle. Dr. Doolittle did not make the list. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say number one's probably the Jungle Book. Number two, Bonnie and Clyde. Number three, The Graduate. Number four, Wait Until Dark. Number five, In the Heat of the Night. I think those are terrible guesses. Well, four of the five of them are on the list, just not in that oh. order. The Jungle Book. Is that that's gonna be list? number one. That's gonna be on really? probably everyone's top ten. Maybe not yours. Zach. I've never seen Wait Until Dark. Oh, you got to see Wait Until Dark. <clears throat> I would have said, I, I would have certainly, I would have said A Lion in Winter. Is that is that the one that's missing off the list? A Lion in Winter is a 1968 film. Oh. So, 
No. Well, there it is. It's missing off the list. Yeah, Catherine so, Hepburn couldn't have won two Best Actress. <laughs> yeah, that would In Cold work. Blood, that's that's 67? That That is 67. It is not on the list. It might be if you had it listed in the right year on your list. Um, well, there we uh, go. So, yeah, so lot. we've got... Uh, so the top five. Number five is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh. That's the missing one. Number four, In the Heat of the Night. Number three, The Jungle Book. Number two, The Graduate. Number one, Bonnie and Clyde. So Wait Until Dark isn't on there? Wait Until Dark is not on there. I have it listed number five. And Todd, you have it number two. Do I and is was Ombre a nineteen sixty seven film? I like yes, that you, movie. you have you have Ombre listed as your number nine of nineteen sixty seven. That's a damn good movie. That's like that that's that's up there. Revisionist Western. That should be in our site top five. Well, I, that would require more than you to watch it. So, I'll see. Wait until dark. You guys see Ombre, and then we'll make nineteen sixty seven complete. There, there we go. There we go. We may have to do this. All right. Well, make sure uh, while you are listening, make sure Western. that. You are subscribing and rating and reviewing all over the internet. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora. You can find all the details at almostsideways.com. Don't forget, we're also on YouTube. I don't know why that's not on here. Adam, fix a graphic. We need YouTube on here, too. Uh, However, if you're seeing the graphic, you're watching YouTube, so you know we're on YouTube. Either way... uh, yeah, so we're we're all over the place. Find us at almostsideways.com. You can get all the details there. Zach, what are you drinking? Well, I was gonna drink Corona, but then I, I thought about did, it too. But I, you know, I didn't actually put that much effort into it. I did try to go West Coast though with some beloved Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, call, you know, calling out to California and uh, great West Coast beer. Very nice, very nice, Todd. Yeah, well, the only options were Snapple and Corona, so I got a giant thing of Corona because man, you know, you can have any brew you want as long as it's a Corona. Uh, That's a beaut right there. It's like you got it out of like Martin Luther's, you know, like (laughs) Stein or something, or like Abbey. Uh, Very looks very uh, Reformation Reformation Day. Very nice. So I, I I went a little more outside the box. So I've been I've been really into to hazies recently. Hazies, hazies. Anyways, um, I I've been uh so Ridgewalker, my favorite brewery right here in uh in uh, West Side here in Forest Grove, uh has a brand new hazy and it's called the West Side Haze and it nothing screams L.A. quite like West Side Haze. So nice. uh, that's that's what I'm going with. That's what I'm going. It's good. It's a good one, too. Okay. Well, with that, let's get into our uh, our reviews here of what we've been watching this week. And for this week, we're going to start with The Cager. Todd, what'd you watch? Uh, the Kevin Lewis movie from 2021. It's Willie's Wonderland. Ah, very nice. Cage plays... Uh, the janitor, that's his character's name. And um, he's a drifter. His car like runs over some road spikes and then he's stranded in the desert. I think it's in Nevada somewhere. And then he comes across this mechanic who offers to fix his car if he works as a janitor overnight at Willie's Wonderland. So he takes the job, uh, but they sort of like lock him in the place. It, it used to be like a family entertainment center thing, but now it's like a haunted house kind of thing. And there's these animatronic mascots there that uh, come to life and attack people during the night. 
And uh, then there's also this girl that tries to burn the place down, but she realizes that he's in it. She kind of gets caught, but then she tries to help him out. And, and basically the rest of the movie is Cage just fighting giant puppets. And it is just ridiculously over the top. And um, the only other the actor other than Cage I've seen in, in anything was the police officer. And it's played by Beth Grant. And it actually was Beth Grant, actually, only like last week. Um, but... I don't know. The movie's got a really weird setup. It kind of reminded me of like House of a Thousand Corpses or something, or like a <coughs> slasher. It sort of is a slow build to some some like really horrible things happening to somebody, but it's Cage instead of some like idiot high school kids. And Cage does not speak a single word throughout the whole movie, but holy shit, he's badass in this. Like he beats the holy hell out of some out of some freaking robots. And uh, I mean, he could he could be like a Liam Neeson now if he wanted to in his later stage of his career, but he doesn't. Uh, that's a, this movie is like a like an enigma though. Like he he's like even un- incomprehensibly effective with his hands, like handcuffed behind his back. It's like the most badass Nicolas Cage has been in the last twenty five years. I mean, he had jujitsu, but he, he's like a freaking killer in this. Uh, there's some like really interesting moments and terrifying moments of like these animatronics like jumping out and like but cage dismantles them in like the most creative ways since like shoot him up like he he's like he like um he like curb stomps one of them on a urinal and then he like murders one of them with a mop somehow like i mean he he's like really going for it covered in this like black gunk that i think is supposed to be like robot blood or something and it's like the the director had like these like a bunch of these robots he wanted to use or something and he just like spaced them out and like had cage cleaning between them which i, I don't know i mean it's 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 the most bizarre thing the, the backstory of the place is pretty cool it could be like an, its own american horror story season or something like that but and then there's this like dance sequence thing that like that is like sprinkled throughout where he's playing pinball and it's, he's got this like almost like orgasming kind of like gameplay strategy i don't know what the hell he's doing and then apparently he was like in, improv this entire uh yeah, this entire like flash dance kind of thing, but K, it's Cage and he's a mute. It's I don't know what to do with this movie. It's fun and ridiculous and shallow, and I it's it's completely bonkers. But I'm giving it two and a half stars. Putting it like almost right in the middle of the cage, number forty six. I'm putting it between the Family Man and City of Angels just because it's ironic. <laughs> awesome. Well, a couple questions. First of all. Are you excited to purchase your copy of Toy Story 2 on VHS on October 17th? <laughs> yes. And the other question is, you're ignoring the big Nick Cage news of this week, which was the trailer drop for his pig movie. I mean, can we get a reaction to that? Like, that was crazy. In in, in Oregon, you no know, less. Yeah, that, I mean, it looked actually good and, yeah, very strange. I will be seeing that right when it comes out. I mean, if anyone's going to look for a stolen pig, it's got to be Nicolas Cage, right? Has to be. Has to be. All right, cool. Well, that is that. I'm going to go next here. And for my Oscar watch this week, my Oscar anniversary watch, we're going back 30 years to 1991, a movie that was nominated for one Oscar, and it was Best Original Screenplay. And according to the website, both of you have seen it. A sole original screenplay nominee. Anything? It's okay. What, what did Woody Allen make that year? Was is it's, that it? It's not Woody Allen. That's it's not like w- a Whit Stillman movie, is it? Oh, Met- Metropolis. No. no, that's two thousand. That's nineteen ninety. No, no. Uh, it is Grand Canyon. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, Grand Canyon. 
This was directed by Lawrence Kasdan, written by Lawrence Kasdan and Meg Kasdan. It's got a pretty all-star cast, especially when you consider the time. Uh, you've got Danny Glover, Kevin Klein, Steve Martin, Mary McDonald, fresh off of an Oscar-nominated performance in Dances with Wolves. Uh, Mary Louise Parker. It's like my second Mary Louise Parker movie in a month on this because she was also in Fried Green Tomatoes that same year. Uh, Alfre Woodard. You've got a child performance by Jeremy Sisto. Uh, it's a it's an interesting cast, and the story is kind of hard to explain because it really isn't a whole lot of plot. It's a it's a group of people that have these kind of interlocking, intertwining storylines in as they interact with each other in Los Angeles uh, during that time. Uh, you have, uh, you've got, um, Steve Martin, who is a, uh, a movie producer, uh, his, him watching one of his movies is one of the more entertaining scenes of the whole thing. Uh, and, uh, it's all starts out with a group of them going to a Lakers game and Kevin Klein's car breaks down on the way home in the wrong side of town. And, and he's saved by, from getting mugged by the gang in that part of town by uh, Danny Glover and his uh, tow truck. This movie, I, I didn't, I thought it was a pretty boring movie and kind of, kind of really didn't age. Well, it kind of felt like the nineties version of crash in that it's, it's these interlocking storylines where crash was uh, tackling like how, how some people, in, you know, the kind of breaking the stereotypes, but also sometimes we fulfill those stereotypes as well. This was saying, everybody is a part of the stereotype and how is the upper middle class going to deal with it in LA during that time? And it'd be like if crash focused entirely on Brendan Frazier, Sandra Bullock and their friends, that's what it felt like grand Canyon was. It it was kind of, it, it, it's kind of ridiculous in, in its structure as you look at it now uh, and its lens that it goes with, I'm going with one and a half stars. Uh, the the uh, the actors give decent performances. It just didn't really work and was kind of boring throughout. So that's my uh, that's my review of of Grand Canyon. Do you guys remember much about it? I remember that uh, Ebert loved it, which is why I saw it. He put it on his top list of ninety one, and I had a very similar reaction to you. Although I I don't know what star rating I gave it. I probably gave it three out of respect. I think two and a half. Yeah, looking back on it, I bet I would be, feel a lot more similar to you. I remember a random like flying sequence in the movie that was like out of nowhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's like a dreams, a Kevin Klein dream sequence where he's flying a la the dude in Big Lebowski over yeah. LA. Yeah. The other thing that's notable about that movie is like it basically has the same setup as Bonfire of the Vanities, which also came out that year, but was like a disaster, like box office and critically. So I think it got some bad word of mouth in that direction. But, yep, you know, you got it. You got to hand it to white liberals, white Hollywood liberals trying to make a movie about race relations, only focusing on white people. So cheers to that and cheers to uh, Crash before it was Crash. Well, and and even like. All the all the scenes with the with the black characters feel like they're trying to be boys in the hood, and and just doing a and bad job. Don't at they it. hook up Danny Glover and Alfred Woodard because they're the only two black people in the movie, so they have to have a romantic relationship? Not the only two, but pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it's kind of. It, I I thought it was it was kind of ridiculous. Steve Martin might play the most 
unlikable character he has ever played in this movie. I remember really remember? liking him in that movie. Like, I don't remember that much, but I, I do remember Steve Martin's character. He ends up getting shot in the leg when the guy comes up to rob him. Yeah, he's like Larry Flint. You know, he's just got kind of his wheelchair and goes around and is cynical about the world. Doesn't he have like an epiphany about movie violence a la Bill Pullman in The End of Violence? Uh, yeah, yeah, he does. He does. Well, because because the scene of him watching his movie is is there needs to be more blood, more guns, more shooting. When you're when you're talking about how this movie compares to movies like Crash and The End of Violence and Bonfire of the Bandies, it's probably a bad sign. So so you mentioned Bonfire of the Vanities. I'm really interested. So the plot thickens. The plot thickens. I, new, me new too. Season. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited for that because it's there's be nothing awesome. better than hearing about how a horrible movie with big name actors and stars and made no money at the box office was put together. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should deep dive the bonfire, which I've never seen, but, or maybe just do a come to the stable of it, but it's almost too well known at this point. And Todd, it's probably you just not watched watch. it, right? Yeah, I just watched it. Oh, well, there we go. What's your because, come to the stable review of it, Todd? The, the plot thickens. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's a disaster. I mean, it is, <laughs> it's one of the most boring movies I've ever watched. <laughs> Uh, I think the conversation around it is going to be more more interesting than the than the movie, probably. All right, cool. Well, Zach, what's your criterion watch for the week? All right, well, actually, a couple of movies to to quickly uh, talk about. Uh, Terry just said the discussion around the movie is more interesting than the movie itself. I definitely watched a movie this week that fits that category. Although I don't know, I really like the movie too. It's a frustrating, complex, oddly moving and riveting movie. That's three hours long, and it's French, so you know I'm going to like it. It's called Jean Dielman, and it has a lot of letters and numbers after the name, so I can't really read it. 23K de Commerce, 1080, 1080p, we'll call it that. All right, so this is a movie that is three hours and 20 minutes long. And nothing happens, really nothing happens in the whole movie. It's about this lady uh, who lives in an apartment, I think in Brussels, as it says in the title. And it covers three days over the course of her life and literally almost nothing happens. I mean, she makes breakfast, she makes lunch, she makes dinner for her son and he reads at the table. Um, every once in a while though, uh, she prostitutes herself out. So I guess that's kind of interesting to watch. Of course, it's a French movie. Uh, the movie's made by Chantal Ackerman, and I think she was trying to make a point about uh, the monotony and boredom and banality that women's lives uh, experience, you know, when they're subjugated to just being in a kitchen all day and, and cleaning a house all day and being someone's mother and, you know, uh, wife and lover and mistress. Uh, it doesn't really give them a whole lot of agency. Um, and so uh, I think this movie is... I'm not going to call it a gimmick, but it is an exercise in trying to show the audience uh, how boring and just how torturous it is uh, for uh, a woman in this uh, social position. Um, and I think as a movie, you know, it, it's it's painful to watch. I mean, you watch the first 10 minutes of this movie, it's like, wh how am I going to get through three hours of it? I can't believe I got through three and a half hours of it. But that's because actually I kind of got into it as the movie was going along. 
Um, I'm a fan of slow cinema. I like the films of Bellatar. I like films like Somewhere and Last Days and, you know, some of Michelle, Hen Michelle Haneke's movies. Um, and this movie, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of interesting to talk about this movie while we're talking about The Fast and the Furious because, you know, car crashes, explosions, bombs, whatever. But, like, did she overcook the potatoes? Is she going to have to run back to the supermarket? Oh, shit. You know, uh, there's definitely some mo moments in the movie like that. I give it three and a half stars. Um, I think it's a fascinating movie because of how boring it is, but it makes it uh, it makes a point about being boring. I don't know if the message has aged so well. It's definitely second wave feminism in the sense that this is a fairly upper crust white woman um, who probably doesn't have to work for a living. So I feel like the the political message maybe isn't quite as as sharp as it might have been in, in 1975, but it's still worth worth watching. Some great extra features on this too. Chantal Ackerman was 24 years old when she made it, so it's kind of cool seeing the process of her uh, uh, really working with the, the main actress, uh, Delphine, uh, uh, I can't remember her last name, Delphine something, uh, as they kind of came up with this character. Cool movie from the 70s. Okay, the other movie I watched this week is uh, a documentary that's out in theaters directed by Edgar Wright, and it is called The Sparks Brothers. Mm, nice. And it is a movie about a band that I was not familiar with called Sparks. Apparently, they are a legendary underground band that has influenced um, a lot of musicians, but they never really had any sort of mainstream success. Um, this has been a passion project of Edgar Wright's for a while. He, he is in the movie. He talks about his fandom a little bit, but mostly it's a portrait of the two brothers who are at the core of the band, Ron and Russell Mayle, who are now, I assume, in their 70s. They started way back in the 60s, and um, the movie is cinematically pretty innovative. It does some stop-motion animation animation, does a lot of stuff with some sound. Uh, you would expect those sort of things out of a out of an Edgar Wright production. There's a pretty impressive array of people who are in the uh, interviewed in the movie and not just musicians, but people like Mike Myers and Fred Armisen and Patton Oswalt. Um, I think the, the the flaw of the movie is that okay, this band, you know, they've been they've been making albums for 50 years. Uh, there's a reason why they didn't make it big, and uh, I hate to say it, but it's because their music isn't all that good. Um, I wasn't a fan of the band going in the movie. I'd never heard of them, and listening to their music, I'm kind of like, uh, it's it's not really that great. Uh, they they claim to have, they boast of having like 500 songs. Yeah, I could see it when your songs sound like they take about two minutes to write. Uh, you could probably have a lot of songs, uh, and especially when a lot of their records are kind of self-produced because every producer basically wanted to drop them. Um, still, it's kind of interesting nonetheless. It's two hours and 15 minutes, which is about 50 minutes more than I would have liked to have seen of this movie. I give it two and a half stars. If you like music, if you like documentaries about weird, uh, strange people, I was hoping this movie would have a little bit more of like a crumb aspect to it where they're a little more critical of the music because by the end, it just becomes one massive, basically hand job to, to this band. And you know, they're cool, um, but it, they're not that great. So, uh, two and a half stars. I'm, if you like the band, if you like it, right, check it out. Otherwise, meh, whatever. It was, they weren't worshipping the band, though. It's not about how good the band is. It's about how weird they are. And that's why Edgar Wright's making the movie and not some, like, lame HBO documentarian. Like, I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I gave it three stars. You didn't think that by the end it just became masturbation. You didn't think it was like, oh, they're just so great and Russell and Ron and all they, all they ever want is just to be authentic musicians and they're so good at what they do. Like, come on, be like Crumb, have some critical feeding, aspect feeding of the, it. The aura of, of them being weird. Don't I mean, you agree their music kind of sucks? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't listen to it, but that's not what that's not <laughs> They what had one about. good song. 
The, you know what their one good song was? Was a song called When Do I Get to Sing My Way? And when they say my way, they're talking about like the Frank Sinatra, Sid Vicious song. And that in a way kind of underscores how pretentious they are. When do we get to sing my way? Like when Sid Vicious did a cover of it? Like you're not that good, dude. But it is a good song. I do have to admit I played it on, on my Spotify. And uh, that the, 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 like the balls and the little Mozart, that shit was terrible. <laughs> I, it was just like a ripoff of Weird Al. I, I hate to say it, but I did like uh, their cinematic influences. They're big Bergman fans. Yeah. All right. All right. There we go. So that's what we've been watching. Let's move on into our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And our featured review this week is looking at the latest to come out from the Disney Pixar factory, and that is Luca. Wow. Luca, that was hard to watch. You, uh, coming? We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking. Air! <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. Lucky today. Hmm? Hey, leave them alone. Hop on. Go start the club for losers. My name is Giulia Marcovaldo. We underdogs have to look out for each other. What's under the dogs? <laughs> this is my dad. What do you think he kills with those? Anything that swims. a chance to try. <laughs> Something's fishy with you two. This is too dangerous. Lucius! <gasps> I know your problem. You got a Bruno in your head. A Bruno? Say, silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Louder. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Can you still hear him? Nope, just you. Good. Now hang on. You do it now. Just say the thing. What's wrong with you, stupido? <gasps> all right. I'm going to be the first one here to talk about Luca uh, and tell you guys what it's all about and what I thought of it here. So Luca was uh, written and directed by Enrico Casarosa, who uh, his only other directing credit is the Pixar short La Luna, which came out 10 years ago. I guess that's how long it takes you to work your way up the ranks of Pixar is you get to make a short and then 10 years later, they finally give you a project of your own. 
anyways, uh, so Luca is voiced by Jacob Tremblay, and he is a sea monster, and uh, he is uh, extremely adventurous and curious of uh, of what else is out there. You know, up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free. He wants to be part of that world. You see what I did there? Because this has a lot of Little Mermaid vibes to it, especially at the beginning. It's like Little Mermaid meets Coco at the beginning. Uh, And uh, in fact, I had to keep double checking to make sure that Jacob Tremblay really was the one that voiced Luca, because every time he tried to drop into some sort of Italian accent. It sound he ended up sounding like the kid who voiced Miguel and Coco. Uh, and, and so I always had to double check. I'm like, this isn't the same kid, right? No. Okay. It's not. So eventually he meets his, uh, his, uh, a friend named Alberto who is, uh, who is a sea monster who lives above the surface. And the thing about these sea monsters is when they get above the surface, they look like normal people. Uh, but when they get wet, they turn back into their sea monsters. So uh, Alberto teaches uh, Luca the ways of the surface, at least what he thinks are the ways of the surface. And eventually they make their way into the near- nearby town uh, to uh, to try and find what is their holy grail of Vespa. And so they're they're out in, in hunt of, of this of a Vespa and end up meeting a. Uh, Julia, who becomes one of their best friends along the way, uh, and uh, and eventually kind of t- tears these friends apart a little bit as well. Uh, I think Pixar it it takes a lot for Pixar to do something wrong, and I don't think they did anything wrong here. I'm giving it three stars. But what's fa- it's fascinating uh, how this movie was put together and how it borrows so many different themes from different things. Like I said, it's like Little Mermaid meets Coco. But I think some of the underlying themes that are are very interesting in this and how they're able to t- use Luca to talk about things without really talking about things. Um, and and how it's it's looking at things like accepting people for who they are, accepting people for for um, for things that they want to hide about themselves uh, that aren't uh, that aren't necessarily visible at on, at on the surface. Uh, in, and it, it's really cool how they're able to do that in this way. Um, I think as, as soon as I saw the trailer for this, uh, of two boys wandering the Italian countryside one summer, uh, uh, there's definite like underlying, it's impossible not to think about call me by your name in the, in this setting a little bit. And those are some of the themes that come out, but instead of talking about homosexuality, it's talking about being a sea monster. And uh, and it's able to teach some of these things through this lens, uh, and I think it's a, it's a really cool way of doing it. And I uh, I thought it was it was really uh, it was really neat. Uh, there's all uh, the way it ends. It definitely leans into that theme a little more than it does. Uh, it there's some stuff that happens and and re- revelations and things like that. Anyways. I really liked it. I don't think it's necessarily uh, a Pixar masterpiece. I'd put it like on par with what they did last year with Onward. Uh, but I'm giving it three stars. Uh, let's go to Zach. What do you think? Uh, yeah. So um, you, clearly you didn't read A.O. Scott's review where he said it's either Calamari by your name or Call Me by your Nemo. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. Tony's that's hitting amazing. a new low there. But uh, 
Yeah, Terry, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I give this movie three stars as well. I thought it was charming. Um, I In the first 10 minutes, I was bored. I was like, okay, great. Little Mermaid uh, again, um, except it's, you know, without the charm, without the music. But uh, yeah, this movie did grow on me. I think I liked it because it had a good share of some quirky characters. For example, Julia's father. Um, at first, I'm just thinking, okay, this is the chef from The Little Mermaid. He doesn't have any eyes. He has big, bushy uh, eyebrows and mustache. But, you know, he's a pretty cool character. Basically, kind of like the Vin Diesel of this movie, really, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I like the dynamic between Luca and Alberto. It, at first, I was thinking, oh, this is like Corey Sean on Boy Meets World a little bit. I mean, maybe Todd can go into that Ooh, a little more. But I like uh, that. I like that. I agree. I mean, if you look at social media, everybody's talking about this is one of the gayest movies Disney's ever done uh, in, a, in a positive way, of course. And that's very cool. Uh, I, I definitely like that. I do have to talk a little bit about this bike race that they go on over the course of the movie. OK, because I thought it was a pretty impressive bike race. Now, it's not just a bike race, but there are components of biking, swimming and eating pasta. Now, I have to say <laughs> I have run the beer mile before and I did not throw up but I did not finish it. So I can think of like eating pasta and doing all that shit as extremely strenuous. So I give my props to these characters for finishing up. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't there's nothing objectionable in this movie. There's some nice little odes uh, to, you know, Italian neorealism. There's some nice sunshine. I like the parents. Uh, yeah, I can't give this movie more than three stars though, because it doesn't have the ambition of soul. And I think that's where everybody's kind of stuck with. If you give this movie more uh, appreciation than you gave to soul, then shame on you because it's not as ambitious. Well, why does everything have to be so ambitious? I thought this was well, this was fun, and I enjoyed it. And uh, Todd's probably going to give it thumbs down. Maybe no, Todd. <laughs> no, I mean I give it three stars as well. Yeah, there we go. Price Price approved. Approved. Well, yeah. Well, what, what's different about this movie than Soul and stuff is that it's a kids' movie. Like it, this is something that's like a throwback to like a Bug's Life or Finding Nemo. Things that you don't have to like question the universe and like everything about existence. <laughs> in order to like really appreciate like it's a kids movie it's like the lowest ambition they've had since brave which also was like a movie that was just so fun and so cute that you can't really like give it a thumbs down even though it doesn't have the emotional impact of the other ones it sort of is onward in that way where it's like it has this massive heart and you can't like help it unexpectedly get choked up in the end for some reason but the movie that has most in common with is toy story 4 because Luca is obviously Woody, and he's finding out how much adventure and wonder there is in the world when you just expand your horizons, something that Alberto slash Bo Peep have already figured out. And so Luca slash Woody are feeling guilty about leaving their family and about having fun and about, you know, abandoning responsibilities in exchange for actually doing something for themselves for once. And, like, it's basically the same plot as Toy Story 4. But, I mean, I, don't, I love the setting of the movie. Like, uh, a lesser studio would have set it in like mexico or florida or something but the italian riviera is just the perfect place for a movie like this the vibrant animation the colors it's all amazing and the even like the, like see-through uncle guy voiced by sasha baron cohen is like <laughs> geniusly designed and his accent is ridiculous and, and hilarious and it's just something you can only have because it's in italy punch his chest <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that was that was interesting yeah the end credits thing with him was pretty cool too because apparently he just kept improvising and he <laughs> he just had so much extra content. Uh, 
But for me, like the movie feels like it's one of the a Pixar short, like an eight minute silent short movie that they only expanded because they were like, oh, we should just have like something at the end, like a bike race or something. And so they're building up to this ridiculous bike race the whole time. And it works, even though it probably shouldn't. But that's just because Pixar wouldn't let a movie like a bad movie get put out, I guess. But some things don't make sense. Like, why can the parents already walk when they when they come out? Like, and why do their clothes dry instantaneously, but their skin doesn't? And why does Luca already know how to read? Like, I mean, but that's just like kids movie stuff that you can ignore, I guess, because it just doesn't. I mean, it's worthless to try to figure that out. My favorite part was Jack D- Dylan Grazer, who because something about him in the coming of age in Italy just seems right. Like he's a star of the HBO uh, show that I really liked. Uh, we, we are who we are, which was made by Luca Guadagnino, which obviously has a lot of parallels uh, to, to this because of calling by your name. And um, yeah, I, I but it, it's like, it, it could be about like a gay subtext, but it also is more about like finding a close friend and like accepting the fact that they're going to meet other people and, and that you need to accept that and do what's best for them. Like the end train scene thing was very before sunrise ish. There's like tons of movie references in here. Everything from Disney stuff to ET, all the Pixar normal stuff. Uh, Sans Rotzenberger, as far as I can tell, I don't think he was in here at all. But I mean, if you have any doubt that the movie's for kids, the end goal goes from we're going to travel the world on bikes to we're going to go to school. Like, I mean, there's like a, a very <laughs> subliminal. <laughs> like shoved by Pixar there. Like I, I mean, I like the movie a lot. It's it's in like the upper part of the lower third of Pixar. But I mean, even even so, that still gives it a really solid three stars. I can see coming out of a COVID school year, wanting to hammer home the "we get to go to school" theme is a uh, is probably yeah, it's probably a good one to hammer home. <laughs> yeah, but I like I like your point that there that there are a lot of other themes. It's just. It's easy to see that that gay subtext to it because of because it's so unique to a to a product like this to come out with something like that. But you're right. There's so much other stuff going on here, and there and it's such a kids movie that I that was a great point that you had. It is it truly is a kids movie. I watched it with my kids last night. They were riveted throughout the entire thing, uh, and uh, and they loved it. And they loved it. So uh, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was really kind of hoping that Luca and Berto would help Julia's dad. I was hoping the movie would just go in the direction of of them just having telling him where all the fish were, and then he could just make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That felt like an underdeveloped sub it's, subplot. Does that also feel like uh, they were traitors for like telling him like, oh yeah, the fish are Seriously? over there right now? Yeah, yeah. And, and like they see him like chopping him up. Like, was he feeding them fish? <laughs> like, was that could be cannibalism of some kind? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing too, and and I think that I mean Alberto sticking around, I, I giving something. I mean we're giving spoilers away here, but it's an hour and a half kids movie. Um, but you you think that they're that he's going to continue to tell him where all the fish are? So let me ask you guys something. So Disney clearly was uh, maybe nervous about releasing this in theaters. I mean, I don't know the whole backstory because of it. I would assume maybe it's because at maybe some early press screenings, it didn't get the same kind of love that Soul did. I mean, is this kind of our future where these studios kind of punt when they get movies they're not so sure about and they just release them streaming platforms only? I don't think so. I I thought it was interesting that this is the route they went with this. However, it was the exact same route they went with Soul. 
They didn't even attempt to put it out in theaters and they just released it on Disney plus free where their other products like Mulan and like, uh, like Cruella they've had, um, they've attempted the, the theatrical release Cruella definitely. And then had the $30 upcharge for it. Yeah. So, but soul was six months ago, Terry. I think that the world is different. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I, it was almost sort of committing suicide in a way by not having this movie at least have some sort of theatrical release. Yeah, I, I agree, but I, I don't know what they're, what they're thinking. I don't think it was that I, we think we have a bad movie on our hands, but why are, but my question is why are you treating Luca different than you're treating Cruella? Like, like Cruella just came out a couple weeks ago. It was in theaters with the thirty dollar pre, uh, premium upcharge for it. Why are those considered two different things? And the only thing I can think is, this is a kids movie, and the Pixar movies are kids movies. And if you're gonna go to the theater, chances are you might not be taking all the kids right now. So let's get the product out there. Let the people decide. Um, and, um, and put it out there for free for, so that the kids can see it. And, uh, and then the more, the more adult stuff like black widow is going to be coming out next month. That's doing a theatrical release with the, uh, with the $30, uh, premiere charge on, on Disney plus. So that's what I think is going on here. I don't think it's them necessarily giving a, a, uh, evaluation of what they think they have on their hands. But I think it's interesting that it's been the two Pixar movies that have done that route. Well, they've just had three in two years. And so, I mean, they would never give up their ability to put out these movies in the theaters because even Onward was going to make a lot of money. Even their lesser ones like Brave or, may still make a lot of money. And that's they, they would never completely uh, give that up, even if it's not one of their best works. Because, I mean, ki- kids, when you do take the whole family of the movies, that's a lot of money. <laughs> like, that's yeah. how, like, if you, that's why animated movies are, like, you know, some of the most grossing movies of all time. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, my, my sense was, I, I don't think they had an inferior movie. I just felt like maybe the audience was a little more limited for this one because it is a kid's movie, as we've been pointing out. And therefore, maybe there wasn't as much box office potential. But I, I just wonder, like, in the future, like, are we going to get you know, oh, this is going to be uh, streaming only, so therefore maybe we have preconceptions going into the movie. Well, I, yeah, I mean, there there are movies that, like, we just had one, I forget what it's called, but there was a Paramount Plus original movie that came out last week with Mark Wahlberg in it. Um, that, uh, and so I, even though theaters are open, there are still these, some of these movies that are, going exclusively to streaming. And I think, I think it's a valid point of, are, are we going to have, are we going to get some preconceptions going into a movie because it's only streaming unless it's something like Netflix, which is what, this is what we do. Yeah. Like, I think um, that like 20 years ago, you know, you would get like HBO movies like the angels in America or wit or a few others. And they were good movies. They just never got theatrical releases. And as a result, they didn't appear on a lot of top 10 lists. And maybe there were some preconceptions going in. So I wonder if it's like when we make our end of the year list, you know, in, in, the, in the next few years, it's going to be like, oh, well, this one was streaming. So maybe not everybody saw it. Go see it in some of the ways that like 20 years ago, it, this was on Showtime. You have to check it out. Yeah. 
or is direct to video. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Are we going to consider the straight to streaming a direct to video type of deal? And I don't mm -hmm. think it's going to get quite there. Um, well, most things that are direct to video are miniseries now. That's true. Yeah. And that, that, that's an interesting point, though. Now, um, and we'll be, it'll be interesting to see. This was straight to Disney Plus without a theatrical release. Is this going to be eligible for Oscar contention? I don't know if they changed the rules back, but I assume so. I don't think they've said anything about what the rules are going to be. I, I would assume so too, but it it's just another interesting question to ask. All right. Well, we do have a thrice approved movie on our hands. Um, Luca, yeah, Adam like, liked it too, right? There's no way he gave. Oh, I'm sure. Down. So I'm sure. we're going to say on, four, four approved, quadruple approved. Uh, from from my update from him last night, he has yet to see it. So well, he's going to like it. It will be quad approved once he watches it. Yeah. So. Uh, so <laughs> wouldn't it be shocking if he didn't like it? That, like, that would be shocking. That, that I think that shocking. would be the most shocking I've ever heard for a movie that Adam hasn't seen him not liking it. Because I feel like almost every single movie Adam watches, he agrees with one of us. And it's rare that all three of us agree. So thrice approved movie is like a rarity these days. And he usually sides with one of the three of us. So I think it would be really interesting if he went out completely on his own and and thought that this this movie was was horrible or a masterpiece. I mean, it could go either way. The only the only reason why anyone wouldn't like this movie is because it's not soul. I mean, it's kind of like last week within the Heights, like in the Heights was for me, it wasn't Hamilton. That's why I couldn't I couldn't really embrace it. This movie's not soul. But how could you? I mean, it's still good. And, and I've heard some people are, are are crapping on it just simply because they're saying, oh, it's not a Pixar masterpiece. How yeah. could they put out something it's the other good than... dinosaur treatment? Yeah. Uh, so it, which it, it's just sad. But yeah, the track record of Pixar. I mean, if this is their floor, it's a pretty good floor. It's a pretty good floor. And and if if things like Soul and Toy Story and Inside Out and Wall-E and stuff like that are their ceiling, I mean... Pixar might be the best studio working right now. So um, it, it's it's a uh, it's pretty great. So yeah, thrice approved. It's free on Disney Plus right now. Check out Luca if you get a chance. Maybe they should have just thrown in a scene with Sasha Baron Cohen asking, like, why am I a fish? Maybe I should kill myself, <laughs> go to the afterlife, and then try to resurrect myself and find out why I'm a fish. And then all the haters would be like, oh, this is a masterpiece. It's as good as soul. I mean, did did anybody else notice that that the the uncle like Sasha Baron Cohen in in this is basically the same thing as the crab in Moana? Like even the after credit scene, I felt very very similar. Anyways, I that's what it. I thought. Yeah. Okay, let's move on uh, because we've got some fun stuff to talk about here because we've referenced it several times. We are in a deep dive episode celebrating the twentieth anniversary. In fact, just a couple days, I think it came out on the 22nd of, of June, 20 years ago in 2001, The Fast and the Furious.
for a little ride. This is yours, but if you win, you get her too. business deal that went sour. Plus, I made the mistake of sleeping with his sister. Look at that. Look at that right there. Nothing screams 2001 quite like. <laughs> Give me my the, MP3 player. Quite like, yeah. Vin Go Diesel on Napster. And, uh, and the, uh, the obviously highlighted blonde streaks of Paul Walker. How's Marky Mark not in this movie? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're going to deep dive Fast and Furious here. Uh, the original... 20 years ago, the start of the franchise uh, in preparation for next week, next Friday, the release of F9. Yes, they've now made nine of them. Well, 10 if you count Hobbs and Shaw. And apparently they have two more to go. Uh, So that's what we're looking at here. We are going to start with some trivia that Zach is hosting for us. So, Zach. How are we doing this? All right. So we're going to start with Terry. So Todd's going to go uh, log off. Todd's going to go away. Go somewhere. Go listen Ooh. to Sparks. There he goes. Okay. Uh, so Terry, I have, I think, 11 questions that are worth uh, 18 points. So here we go. Uh, first question. Where does the Fast and the Furious rank on my list of 2001 movies in between what two films? <clears throat> this okay. is punishment for having to watch this movie, by the way. <laughs> Uh, can you can you tell me how many movies you have seen in 2001? Uh, yes, I can. I have seen uh, 76 movies. 76 movies. I'm going to say it ranks 65th. Do you have uh, any? But I have to say what it's between. Sure. Yes. <laughs> really? Um, I'm going to say you put it on par with. Oh, I don't. I'm gonna compare. I, I want to compare your answers to Todd's. You know, I'm gonna say it. It's on par with uh, K Pax, and uh, um, uh, 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 what, what, what's another bad 2001 movie? I, I'm 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 working on it here. I'm working on it here. K Pax was a good selection, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to say anything. you like that one. Okay, but um. But yeah, let me... Okay, K-Pax, is that it? K-Pax, yeah, that's all I got. That's we'll all I got. On. Okay, okay. I'll, okay, I'll reveal that one when Todd comes back on. Okay. All right, second question. What brand of appliances are being stolen in the truck? Panasonic. That is correct. Uh, okay, next question. I got to write down your score here. Uh, okay, uh, what does Edwin know? What does Edwin know? Oh, oh, Edwin... Uh... 
<laughs> what does he say to him? Oh, 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 oh. Is not how you stand next to your car. It's how you drive your car. You got to uh, know that. Yeah, it's not how you stand by your car. It's how you race it. I'll, I'll give you a point yeah, for that. Yeah. That's, that's close enough. All right, next question. Uh, where does Do- where and how long did Dominic spend his prison time? Uh, it was two years in Correct. Lompoc. Correct. Two points. Good job. All right. Uh, name three musicians with songs in this movie. Well, obviously, Ja Rule. Correct. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I was going to make it movie, one musician, oh, but that that would that would be too obvious. All I think of when I when I watch this movie is Ja Rule. Um, oh, and I got to come up with two others. Good grief! Um, oh, I'll, I'll, no, no, no. There, there's too many. There, there's there's a few well known ones in here, but yeah, very two thousand one. <laughs> very very two thousand one. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, with. I uh, know it's not that. Um, like I'm gonna go with like some 41, and uh, <laughs> and uh, let's see here. What's another good one? I'm gonna that's, go that's with incorrect, like, by the way. Busta Rhymes. Also incorrect, but yeah, but I, 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 I like I like those guesses. Yeah, you like the effort. <laughs> I, I do. We'll see if Todd comes up with any. Uh, next question. Um, uh, what is what is a statue that is in front of Johnny Tran's hideout at T and K Food? Oh, it's um, it's Confucius, isn't it? That's correct. Uh, what was the only class that Jesse passed in high school? Algebra. Uh, he says math. I math. don't know. Does that count? He said math and algebra and stuff like that. Uh, okay, else okay fine, fine. I'll give you a point for that. What's the name of the restaurant that Mia ta- or Brian takes Mia to? Oh, oh, cha cha cha. You're kind of <laughs> killing it, man. This is impressive. <laughs> what is the service that Brian calls for the cell phone trace? Oh gosh, what's the name of the service he calls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very 2001 question. This is very 2001 trivia. <laughs> Um, it was like Siri before there was Siri. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, four one one information. I don't know. No, the answer is Nextel, which Nextel. sounds vaguely oh. familiar. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what number does Leon have on his shirt? Number is Leon oh, at the gosh. during the climax? <laughs> and of course, we have to ask this question every trivia. Um. 97. Incorrect. The answer is 8. Okay. okay, and the last question worth 4 points. How did the team come to be? Okay, uh, well, Vince grew up with them. Cor- correct. Grew up with Dom, correct. Grew up with Dom. Uh, Letty was uh, down the street. Correct. And always noticed Dom, and then Letty turned 16, and then Dom noticed Letty. Correct. And Leon and Jesse just kind of showed up Showed up one night and never left. Okay, yep. I'll, I'll give you points for that. All right, not a bad showing. You have okay. total of uh, okay. Uh, t- so uh, Terry kind of killed it at the Fast and Furious trivia. Terry has a total of twelve points out of possible eighteen. Very impressively done, Terry. Hold on, I, I, hold on. Let, let me let me rearrange here. Hold on, hold on. There we go. Okay. Now we're good. 
Okay. I like I don't know why I was take I, I like that arrangement, but okay. Oh, you want you want you want me to put it back? I'll yeah, I'm the back. host of trivia. This will last sake. time, by the way. There we go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is not trivia over Toy Story 2, by the way. How many okay. half points did you give him that added up to 12? None. I was I was only generous with one question. I think no half points. I, I don't think no. I got I got all a good. Those. I yeah, legit you, got all those questions right. Yeah, you got a lot. It was it was an impressive showing. Okay, okay. Uh, and actually, Terry could get more points with this first question, depending on how Todd does with it. Uh, the first question is: Where does Fast and Furious rank on my movie list of two thousand one movies? And between what two films? This is does punishment. It go, does it go by the almost famous or almost sideways rank rating that you have? Of uh, yes, I, I yes, which okay. we need to talk about. So I would say you have it ranked number. See, Todd did his homework. Terry didn't do his homework. I didn't well, do my I, homework on this. I'd say you have rank number twenty between like Bandits and Monsters Inc. Bandits and Monsters Inc. Terry, what did you say? You said sixty-four, right? I said I said sixty-five. Sixty-five. The and, correct... and, and the movie I, I put in the in the same arena was K-Pax. And you said Bandits. What was the other one, Todd? Monsters Inc. Monsters Inc. Okay, uh, I think Todd gets the points. Uh, the correct answer is I had this number thirty-four, and mm. uh, between the movies Iron Monkey and The Dish. Yeah, I don't know what those are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give Todd Todd the point. Todd there. gets a point for that. Okay. Todd gets a point. Uh, at least one point. All right. One uh, point. He gets yeah. one point. One point. You, you weren't close with the movies, but that's okay. Uh, okay. What uh, brand appliances are being stolen in the truck? Um, what, like, like Panasonic? That is correct. Uh, what does Edwin know? I know a few things, <laughs> and what we knows is it's not it's not how you stand by your car; it's how you race your car or how you drive your car. Correct. <laughs> okay, uh, where did Dominic spend his prison time, and for how long? Two years in Lompoc. Correct. Isn't Lompoc mentioned in Sideways somewhere? Is that where Five Clicks Jackson? He was running from Lompoc. No. <laughs> Um, name three musicians with songs in this movie. Um, ja Rule. Yeah. This is why I made um, it three instead of one musician. <laughs> uh, what's this that band's name? Uh, I feel like the band's name is Pope. Pope? The, the one that in the in the sequence where they go like arrest Johnny Tran, I do not see a pope oh, on the IMDb soundtrack page. <laughs> oh yeah, that song. That's a good song. It sounded very Slipknot. Uh, and I'm gonna say DMX. I, I don't know what the I don't know if there's one. DMX. I don't think DMX is here. Oh yeah, DMX is here. Oh my god. Oh! Wow. Wow. That that was impressive. There was a I said song... I said Busta Rhymes in Sum Forty One. <laughs> There's no way Sum Forty One was getting in there, but I, I couldn't think of anything else. The song "Rollin'" performed by Rollin', 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 oh, Rollin', featuring DMX, Limp. Redman, oh. and Method Man. Yeah, I that had that to be in too. this movie. I should have said Limp Biscuit. Gosh dang it! 
<laughs> I even mentioned it as I was watching it. I'm like, man, Limp Biscuit. That brings me back. Yeah, this soundtrack Gosh, has it. such a yeah, Devon Air by Pope. That's the name of that song. Yeah, it this this has wait, did you say Pope? Yeah, Devin, well, I don't see Pope on IMDb. Look up that song. I was listening to it earlier today. That's is why it I dope? <laughs> it says dope. Dope. Oh, dope. Okay, maybe it's dope, not Pope. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I was close. I should get a half point for that shit. Uh, I'll I'll think about it. Um, <laughs> what is the statue that is in front of Johnny Tran's hideout at T and K Food? I don't know. Is, like a, is that a Buddha or something? Uh, it's Confucius. Okay. Did Terry I, get that? I did Terry get did that. get that. I did get that. <laughs> I just knew. I, I didn't know it was Confucius, but I knew it wasn't Buddha. And yeah. Yeah. No microaggressions <laughs> here. What was the only class that Jesse passed in high school? Well, math and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think. See, Terry said algebra. I don't think he ever he said, mentions algebra. He mentions he algebra. algebra. He, says, he says algebra. No, he says he I said I, I passed. I, I like I, I ran through math and shit, failed everything else, so I dropped out of school. See, you're talking to Todd, who actually knows this movie by heart. <laughs> so, we'll, so we'll go with Todd's. We'll go with Todd's answer. Um, algebra is a math class. If he's in high school, he passed an algebra class. <laughs> what is the name? How long he was in high school? What's the name of the restaurant that Brian takes Mia to? Cha cha cha. Cha cha cha. Uh, what service does Brian call for the cell phone trace? What? That's a good question, by the way. That's a What's, good question. What do you mean? What service? So, like, you know, he calls up a service to locate the cell to to track the cell phone, right? What's the name of the service that he calls up? Like Siri, but like 2001 version of Siri. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't. I can't think of what he says. I mean, he would it'd be calling like a bolo or out or something, right? Uh, the, the correct answer is Nextel, which which sounds like it was a real service in 2000. It was. It was. Is that? What, did you get that, Terry? No. no. No, but I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Nextel was an actual legit company. Well, yeah, I, I know that, but okay, I I I know. I guess I never got that line. He also and says I, I, he I, also I, says MAPD, which I'm not really sure what that means. I I think he tried to say LAPD, it didn't work. <laughs> what number does Leon have on his shirt? Eight. <coughs> yeah, I mean, you knew that you knew that question was coming. And the last question is, uh, how did the team come to be? For a total of four points. By the way, your, your the score is twelve to ten. You need to you wait. Need to so get... I need to, to say how each of them got to the group. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jesse and Leon just showed up one day and they never left. Um, Mia is his sister, dumb sister. Um, Don uh, and Letty uh, was like the younger sister of somebody Dom knew, and he like she fell for him, and then he fell for her. Um, and then Vince, like they've known each other since like third grade. I'm gonna give you three out of four for that. The, the, I, Letty, yeah, I agree. I agree. the, the Letty answer was a little suspicious. No, that's what he says. He said, no, he says, no, 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 she no. was into him, 
And then when she got to be 16, then he was into her uh, naturally. But he, she, yeah. she wasn't but, a friend, a, the sister of a friend. I don't know where that came she from. She just lived was, down was the street. The sequel? Oh, okay. Yeah. Was, okay. She lived well, down either the way, I had the, I had the detail right. Yeah. But she lived down the street. Like, I had the line perfect. That that part of the line. And yeah, and yeah, it was the third grade for, for Vince. But he doesn't say it when, when, uh, when, uh, Mia really, you know, reveals it all. It was earlier. It's like there was a time when I didn't know you. Well, yeah, yeah, that was in the third grade. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that was part of the question, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Todd wins trivia. An impressive. That was a weird, that was a weird question. <laughs> an impressive thirteen to twelve final score. Oh, that is. Impressive. So I missed five points in there somewhere. Uh, well, you didn't get the, the movies that uh, were on my list, so that's oh. that's a couple of them. And uh, you missed. Uh, you, you said Pope instead of Dope, and yeah. <laughs> I was just I was listening to a song earlier. That's why. Okay. All right. Well, Todd, you are definitely the master of this. So, tell us about Fast and Furious. Uh, well, Fast and Furious was in like the, in the early two thousands. There was like a new car movie craze with Gone in 60 Seconds and then uh, Fast and the Furious and then there was the Italian Job then there was like the one movie Torque that came out that was not a hit at all like this was like a new thing it was like a throwback to the 70s when like all these movies were like the big thing Uh, this movie is about Brian O'Connor played by the late Paul Walker and he is an undercover cop who is infiltrating this group of street racers and because that's what this movie is about it's about street racing if you watched any of the other ones and not this one you wouldn't know that because it's not about some like superhero like uh international agents trying to save the world from terrorists and going to space and shit this movie's about street racing and it, it's a lot of fun and i've probably seen it around 50 times because uh this is the kind of movie that i watched a lot when i wa- was like obsessing over gone in 60 seconds um I've seen this movie and the second one are the only ones I've seen more than once, but I have seen all, all eight of them so far. And uh, this is probably the best or second best one. Like the sixth one is the most self-aware, like ridiculous one. But this one is, it's just a really, it's a really fun movie and it's really rewatchable. It's really quotable. And it's got some really cool stars at a young age uh, who blossom into big movie stars after this, or maybe because of this. And uh, yeah, I've always been a fan of it. I don't know why my star rating on our website says two stars. It says three stars on my on my rankings, so I'm not really sure where that came from. I probably need to update mine too. I haven't even looked at it. You said one and a half stars, Terry. Oh yeah, I need to, I need to update that. Yeah, th- this movie is just pure fun, um, and it, it it shows the the humble beginnings of this franchise. And, and yeah, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's a movie about street racing. That's really what this all where this all started. Uh, yeah, it, it it came out at just that right like that that early two thousands was like the perfect time for at least for Todd and I, me and Zach, maybe you you're on this too. Of those movies, just were the movies you watched a lot, and and this one just always seemed to be on, and you always kind of watched it. And yeah, it came out same time as Gone in sixty seconds, and I always felt this these two were tied together in that way. Because it, it felt like every day there was a double feature on TNT of Gone in 60 Seconds and The Fast and Furious. Um, and and it, it's it's kind of dumb at times, but you don't really care. 
because it, it's it's just fun and the characters are are fun and the the racing is cool and and I mean this was like the epitome of cool in 2001. Zach, when did you watch this? Yeah, so this was an interesting rewatch for me. Um, I mean, you said that earlier in the podcast. Here, I keep thinking like it's not about the movie, but it's about talking about the movie or the experience of the movie. I mean, for me, this was like 2001, baby. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we got a new president who's an idiot and he's probably not going to get reelected. He's an idiot. And uh, I'm taking, you know, my bus or my bike out to the Gateway Mall at Movies 12, seeing this movie for $1.50 because it's PG-13 and it's the only thing I could see when I was 13 years old. And uh, yeah, I gave it three and a half stars because I was 13 years old. So uh, I don't know if I'd still give it three and a half stars. But yeah, I mean, it was like a cool movie, you know, and uh, I feel like the, the Fast and the Furious franchise represents all of filmmaking over the last 20 years. You got this cool concept, like Todd said, 100% agree, about street racing, okay? It is about Paul Walker, it is about Vin Diesel. I was surprised re-watching this movie how little actually racing and car chases there was in this movie. This is a character study, okay? And you've got these fresh-faced actors, you've got Michelle Rodriguez, you've got uh, Jordana Brewster, you've got um, you know, basically uh, not uh, overly polished cast. And it's not like the most expensive movie in the world. It's like a fun, stupid summer movie. Why did they have to make so many sequels? I mean, honestly, like that is the worst thing about this movie is now you can't watch it without thinking about how just grotesque and how, uh, uh, you know, just over the top this movie has been. There is no sequence in this movie that involves a car flying off a mountain and crashing into a helicopter because this is not <laughs> Grand Theft Auto. This is like a real movie. And so it was actually kind of refreshing watching this movie again. I was fully expecting to hate it and be like, oh my God, how could I have ever liked this movie? But rewatching it again, I mean, I'm not going to say necessarily that it holds up, but it is not what this franchise has become, which is, again, the excesses of the stupidity of modern filmmaking. So I like that this was unpolished, unglamorous before it got big, before it was um, a machine that destroyed filmmaking. This movie was big, by the way, Zach. This wasn't a but it wasn't like, movie. <laughs> I mean, it, it was. It, you're right. It's it was big, but it, I, what? Maybe fifty million dollar budget, forty million. It wasn't like massive. It came out in the middle of the summer. It was like this. You know, it, it was the start of something. It wasn't a franchise back then. And and what's kind of interesting about the movie <laughs> is that you know the two sequels, at, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, and Tokyo Drift were not very good movies. I mean, they weren't really critically acclaimed and so they put they sort of put the <laughs> they closed the door on the franchise until what fast uh the, the one fast and furious, and furious. Fast and well, they yeah. realized okay we need paul walker and vin diesel like yeah and that, that was that was the thing so so yeah so this had 38 million dollar budget and opening weekend in u.s and canada grossed 40 million uh, that's pretty good. And then the worldwide gross ended up being $207 million. Yeah, especially for a, a, something that isn't a franchise already. Like it's a, and, and, had no, and had no names in it. Like, there, none, none of these people were, like, unless you knew... Well, Paul unless Walker you, had made the skulls, and he had done he had done a few things, but he, he'd he never had been to movies. So had, so had Vin Diesel. I mean, Vin Diesel was in... Saving Private Ryan, but he yeah, had Private Ryan. before this. Yeah, Boiler Room, and then he had the the first Riddick movie too. 
Um, oh, Pitch Black. Pitch yeah, that Black. was around there. And Triple X was probably was right after. after this. It was yeah. after this. Well, I yeah. remember when this movie came out, a lot of people thought this is basically a preview for, for Vin Diesel and Triple X. That was a movie that had bigger publicity than this. I mean, this was this was not a bit. Maybe my memory screwed up. I don't know. But like, I don't remember this necessarily being a huge movie when it came out. It is nothing like it is today. It was not an event. When the biggest names in your movie are Ja Rule and Buffalo Bill himself, Ted Levine, you are not sporting a very noteworthy cast <laughs> at the time. At the time. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, Todd. What what you said is is right. So the second movie was just Paul Walker, and and it tried to fly with that. However, the second movie also brought Tyrese and uh, and Ludacris into the into the the universe. Uh, the third one had none of them except for a cameo at the end from Vin Diesel. And but it um, brought in uh, Han. But it brought in Han, um, and I think. Lucas Black is involved in them now too, in some capacity. Yeah. yeah, in some capacity. Uh, so yeah, and and I, I kind of fast forward to the end. I had I had written down as my LVP and MVP the reboot because one, I think this is like one of the most successful reboots of a franchise ever. In how it took like the the first film was awesome. And then the second and third, like progressively sucked more and more. Um, and then you get to, and then all of a sudden the fourth one comes around and they completely reshape this thing and revamp it. And I thought the fourth one was super cool because it's like, oh, wow, you can take it this direction. That's That's really interesting. That actually works. And then they just kept going which is why it's the LVP because it shows what can happen with a franchise when you oversaturate it. Um, and I mean, we'll see what happens with F nine, but uh, well, well, what's weird is that they, they've progressively gotten better critical reviews and progressively gotten better box offices as they've gone along. That's why they keep making them. That's why they're going mm -hmm. to keep making them. And there's going to be spinoffs. There already is a spinoff. There's going to be more there. They're going to be like animated TV shows. It's going to be video games. It's going to be everything because people keep buying this shit and, and critics are, are pushing it too. I don't, I'm not really sure why. Cause I think they've gotten worse as they've yeah. gone along, except for six, six was awesome. Other than that, like all pretty much everything after like, you know, four was, I mean, four wasn't even that good. I don't think, but I don't know. I, I you, you touched on something Todd. Now the, I think that the box office, I, I don't think that matters as much. I mean, that's ticket prices. That's inflation. That's whatever. But you're right. Why do critics like the sequels? I mean, we have a critic, so-called critic, on a major podcast, um, <clears throat> big picture podcast, <clears throat> that actually put one of the sequels in the top 10 of the decade. I mean, what are these people on? Like, what the hell? I, I, I don't understand it. But you're right. Why is it just that? Is it just that they they they, they want the hits? I mean, why do people like these movies? I don't get it. Is it because R.I.P. Paul Walker? Is it because of the song in Fast Five? I oh, think for, seven that the song was singing. seven. Yeah, whatever. I think for oh, what they are, sense. for what they are, they are fun. Um, but I mean, they're it's like the perfect popcorn movies. Uh, and I think to a certain extent, Zach, what you mentioned about how this is this is really a character study. This first one, a certain level of that has maintained in that. The reason why they work is because there are characters at the heart of it that you care about. 
And that was kind of, that was started with the groundwork that was laid in this first one. Um, and, so does that, uh, does that mean it's like the earthbound version of Star Wars or something? Like an original property that has kept going and kept having spinoffs and movies keep coming out that get worse and worse, sort of, but people still are digging it. I mean, because we love the characters. I think I think I'm, that's not, not a terrible comparison. That, that that's not bad, I guess. <laughs> I was going to come up with a category of what's the best metaphor for the franchise. I was going to say like the Golden State Warriors. You know how they were like a cool team that shot three pointers and they were kind of you know home homegrown and then they won the title and it's like great and then they got KD and they got oversaturated and then they were shit to watch. Or like I was going to say like Stillwater. You know this movie's like Stillwater in almost famous but then before you know the band inevitably collapsed in the afterlife of the story this movie says everything you want to say about this band <laughs> no yeah. i mean it's it's just the disease of more you know this movie's a metaphor for when you have a good story and you got good actors fresh faces fresh talent and a concept that maybe not everybody else is doing. I can't think of any other street racing movies in 2001. Like, yeah, you come up with something kind of cool. But then it's the disease of more. We got to add more and more and more. And we got to add a car flying into a helicopter. And we got to find... This is, by the way. Well, I just... I don't know. It, it's just a... It's a perfect car doesn't miss the boat in the second one, though. That's, no. It does this, not. The second one I also low-key gave thumbs up to. And the third one. The third one. So I watched. I like Tokyo Drift, if I remember correctly. But again, I, I, at that point, I was 16. So I watched I watched the second one, like, right when it came out. And then I think it was before Furious 7. I watched 3, 4, 5, 6. Like, I hadn't seen any of them. And then I just ran through them all, getting ready for for Fury Sims, like, why haven't I watched this whole franchise? So I went through them all really quick. So I have trouble distinguishing which one's which when it comes to all of the sequels. I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> Although, doesn't, uh, doesn't Tokyo Drift come after, chronologically, comes after seven, right? Or eight? It comes after, like, it's because they're out of order. Five, six? Yeah. I it, think. Yeah, because because Han dies, quote unquote, because he comes back in F nine apparently, in the third in Tokyo Drift, but he's in four five six, right? Todd, is that right? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, coming back to life and shit. They did that with Letty too. So they did. Yeah. They did. I I'm waiting for Gal Gadot yeah, to come back. Gal killing off Gal Gadot was a mistake. Well, I mean, they can bring people back from the dead in this franchise, so. Well, of course. Because apparently when you're inside of a car and someone sees the, the whites of your eyes when the car explodes does not mean you're dead, apparently. I just remember Letty dying <laughs> and Dom knowing how to track down the culprits because of the tire prints, if I remember correctly. And thinking, you know, okay, <laughs> This is what we've come to. Yep, this yeah. is what we've come to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. He's the Mona Lisa Vito of <clears throat> tires. Although she was the Mona Lisa Vito of tires. So you can't have two Mona Lisa Vitos. 
Can uh, we move on? Jesus. Let's Christ. move on. Let's I'm move sorry. on. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to our to our Mount Rushmore here that we're gonna do yes. in honor of yes. Fast and the Furious, which Zach suggested yesterday, and Todd hated the idea of Todd. Todd really was. <laughs> Um, and we are doing a our Mount Rushmore of movie cars. Um, I think I think it sounds like an awesome an awesome one here. So, um, Todd, I'm gonna give it to you to uh, to start us off because uh, uh, I don't think we have a non negotiable at this point. So I'm we're gonna play this out and see how it goes, and then go from there. So, Todd, give give us your uh, your pick for. Uh, for movie cars. Well, the one I was going to choose when we were going to do car movies and it's the same. And that is the death proof 1970 Chevy Nova. Oh, good call. Good call. You know, it's hundred percent death proof, but you have to sit in this seat. I don't know. It's a great car and it's a, it's a great movie by a great filmmaker. And you can't say that about many car movies. <laughs> It's true. It's true. And there aren't very true. many cars that stand out because I'm not a car guy, despite me loving these movies. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second car movie deep dive we've done too. Uh, second Todd car movie deep dive. Actually. Yeah, yeah. It's so, also the second Todd Vin Diesel movie we've done. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So that would mean the third Todd early two thousands movie. If you add that, is that does that math add up? I think so. I don't know, I'm I not Jesse. So. I didn't pass math. I don't know. All right, Zach, what's your submission? I, you know, I, the best part about this, should I even admit this? I forgot to write down my list. I, I went into all the <laughs> trouble saying we should redo it. I didn't even, I didn't even write it down. I, I, I had a couple, I thought about the pussy wagon from Kill Bill Volume 1, but yeah. I like Kill Bill Volume 2 better, so I can't really put that. I'm just going to go with the most indulgent pick, although I think Todd will like it. We're going to go with Miles' sob. Why not? It's a beautiful car. It has a lot to do with that story. Uh, so uh, I was I was reading somewhere that that car apparently appeared on eBay not too long ago, and it was listed for five thousand dollars. Why did we not hear about this? I mean, it, don't you? Th okay, honestly, between the three of us, would we put together what is that sixteen sixteen hundred dollars each for that sob? I would do it. Split yeah. split it three ways. Wrecked? Well, I, I mean. <laughs> a good question <laughs> if it if it can run and it's been restored sure <laughs> i would do it anyway that's that's the greatest car in film history and todd can't disagree Gosh. with that it's a great car all right this is a stupid list you're right we this... but but how is how is car movies any better like what the hell is a car movie i i've got a list of I've got right. a list I like, of car I, I like I like Todd's. I, I've got a list of six though that are better than what what Zach just said. Um, Doris, I gotta figure out which one, one I got to go with. I wrote down Doris. Um, too. or Eleanor. How Eleanor hasn't. Come Eleanor's out. on my list. The Shaggin Wagon from Dumb and Dumber's on my list. Mm -hmm. uh, the Tour Bus from Almost Famous is on my list. Um, I'm gonna go with. Isn't that Doris? Is that is that Doris? Is it? Doris is the heart and soul of this band. Oh yeah, yeah, Doris. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, Doris. Okay. So let's see here. I'm gonna go. So it's down to those three. I'm I'm going with the Ecto One from Ghostbusters. 
that car is just awesome. Like, if you want to talk about unique cars, I mean, that thing, I, I wasn't it like a hearse transformed into a ghost fighting mobile and, and with like a trap door that opens up and you can hang out the side and, and yeah, a Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters. That's what I'm going with. Might as well go with a DeLorean. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, the DeLorean. I didn't even write that one down. My other one was the Shaggin' Wagon from Dumb and Dumber. So the other the other two I have are uh, the Batmobile and uh, and uh, James Bond's Aston Martin. But he has a different car in every movie, though. So, but it's always an Aston Martin. <laughs> I don't know about that. I feel like he's had some BMWs. He had a Ford in uh, Die Another In the more Day. recent ones, I, I'll go with an that. invisible car. The the Aston Martin from Skyfall. That is the throwback to everything that happened before. I was also thinking about RC from Toy Story. Oh, oh good call. That's, that's out there thinking. That's that's uh, or the or I the like Pizza Planet truck. Yo. Oh, Pizza Planet truck. It isn't it isn't Luca. I, I had to look it up later, but it is there. I didn't see it upon first watch, but those are both great picks. That, I would go Pizza Planet truck. Yeah, let's do that. That's a great pick. That's better than anything else we've done. Okay. <laughs> great not great idea for this list, Zach. Really? It was a great idea. Really it was just poor execution. <laughs> I mean, we were doing Which fine until Zach didn't even until... have a list. I forgot about it. Until I'm... Miles is sob from sideways. Listen, okay. okay, tell me there's a better vehicle than I mean, like yeah, obviously. All of the got... vehicles. All of the vehicles. <laughs> <laughs> it was on eBay though, and we would have bought it. So we got Stuntman Mike's car from Death Proof. We've got Miles' sob from sideways. We've got the Ecto one from Ghostbusters. That and Ghostbusters car is stupid. Why is that on the list? That's that, such it, a great car. Miles' car is way better. Loki, I've never seen Ghostbusters. Gosh. Cheers. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. I've seen the w- remake. You've seen I haven't seen the remake. I've seen the first two. I watched a I watched a Ghostbusters two probably like a dozen times before I saw the first one. Um. Okay. Recasting. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Let Let's Let's do this now. All right. We're just gonna We're just gonna plow through it all. We're gonna and um. Each, whole cast re- all at once. Yeah. All whole cast all at once. We're We're recasting the whole team here. Uh. I'm gonna go first. Uh. Because I I like the direction I took my cast in here. So um. I the first one I'll, I'll go in this order. The first one I came up with was Dom, and who was I going to cast to be Dom in in the the reboot? And I went with Daniel Kaluuya. So as soon as I came up with Daniel Kaluuya, obviously Brian had to be Lakeith Stanfield. Um, so so that's what I got here. Letty is Zendaya. Uh, Vince is O'Shea Jackson Jr. Uh, Leon is Alex Pettifer. He hasn't been in anything in a, forever. Why don't we bring him back? I think this could work for him. Uh, Jesse is obviously Timothy Chalamet, and uh, Mia is Kiki Palmer. All right. I mean, I think Kiki Palmer could pull off as Daniel Kalia's sister. I have a different Lakeith Stanfield. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you have, Todd? Uh, well, my Dom is Winston Duke. Uh, okay. I, I thought about him too. 
My Brian is Finn Cole, who is the main character in the Animal Kingdom TV show, which I could have done the entire cast from Animal Kingdom, but I didn't. I just chose him because he's a perfect Brian. Uh, Leon is, of course, Licky Stanfield. Like, um, uh, Zazie Beats would be Letty. Naomi Scott as Mia. Vince is a weird one to recast. I put Shia LaBeouf. I could see him being like the 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 moron that's actually going to do all that stuff and kind of like popping off all the time. And Jesse, it's Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Zach, how about you? All right, I went with Dom. It was Charlie Theron. Brian, Zoe Kravitz. She in the, she's in the series. <laughs> What does that exclude them? I mean, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a rule. It's like, okay, Dom would be Paul Walker. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, come on, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, we now? are recasting something that is still going on. So, <laughs> um, Mia, I had as John Ham, Leon, Lakeith Stanfield, mostly because Todd casted it. <laughs> Vince, John C. Riley, and Jesse. Aaron Paul. Clearly, I spent a lot of time thinking about this. That was yeah. The other cast is like 20 years too old for every <laughs> character. I mean, I mean, Jesse Pinkman basically is Jesse. So, Well, there we go. One out of yeah. six ain't bad. Who would Nicolas Cage play? I, um, think, I think he'd play Johnny Tran. I don't know if he'd be Asian necessarily, but... I, I think Nicolas Cage would play Sergeant Tanner. He'd play the Ted Levine role. Yeah, Sheldon mm. Tanner or Agent Bilkins, he could do either. And I, and in like the eighties, he would be Leon or Vince, but Eric Stoltz would be Brian. Ooh, like, yeah. Maybe some I don't know. I, I don't know who would be the the Dom in that case, but or like a young Sean Penn. Mickey, Mickey Rourke would be Dom. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. I like that. And Sean Penn would be Jesse. Well, if we're going, if if he was typecast after Fast Times, but if if people watch like Falcon and Snowman, then I think they could have gone maybe with him as Brian. Hold on, just okay. sorry, much better. Okay, okay, we're good. All right. Well, uh, let, let's move into our categories here. Uh, Highest war performance in in this uh, in this movie here, Zach. I'm going to go to you first. Obviously, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel is. Uh, I mean, I know it's the low hanging fruit, but I'm sorry. Vin Diesel makes this movie. Okay, I, I think part of the charm of this movie is Vin Diesel was not a well known entity. I know we've already kind of talked about that, but there is no like. I mean, I, th- this is an A lister role. He's the perfect age for it. He's the perfect, like, somewhat vague ethnicity for it. And he dominates the screen when he's in it. This is like young Marlon Brando. Okay, can I recast young Marlon Brando in this role? I mean, there there are shades of Stanley Kowalski in it. I think it's a brilliant performance. It's one of his best work. And uh, he just, uh, he's gravity, as uh, Mia says. So uh, to me, I think that is the highest war performance. I have a very hard time recasting that role. Except for Charlie Theron, of course. Yeah, I, I I have Vin Diesel as well, and I think he, honestly, I think he's the only answer here because he is. Yeah, you're right. He is the movie. He is. He is has such a 
the whole movie revolves around is he believable as being this like godfather of street racing and he is like he has the charisma he has the presence he has he's able to be gravity like it says and actually it it works and if if he doesn't work the movie doesn't work and he does so it does can I just add something? I made a short list of the worst recasting as Dominic. Can I read that? Yes. Uh, I said uh, 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 Steve Buscemi, Paul Giamatti, and uh, Dave Coulier from Full House. That was my top three. <laughs> that is fascinating. <laughs> I... I, that was the hardest one for me to recast, but and I came up with Daniel Kaluuya because I think he could actually, he could actually pull it off. Widows Daniel Kaluuya could for sure. Yeah, well, or and I mean, Judas and the Black Messiah Daniel Kaluuya too. I mean, he, just that that presence he has. Yeah, Vin Diesel is the easy pick because he, I mean, he's supposed to be like the villain, but he's too likable. He comes some sort of like an anti-hero, which is why Xander Cage is like his, like the role that had to have been written for him because that is basically what he made this character into. And he's, he has so much charisma. Like he takes what he did in boiler room and, and, but he's like the head of this like dangerous crew instead of the head of stockbrokers. Like he, Oh yeah. Vin Diesel is perfect in the movie. The other one I was thinking about was Michelle Rodriguez because it's hard to be that badass of a of a of a chick action hero, especially at that time. Like she was coming off girl fight, so she she was like another like not not known entity. But I think she's awesome in this movie, and there's a reason why they kept bringing her back because she's she's a she's an action star, and that she they shouldn't have taken her out of the movies as soon as they did, I guess. But I, I had a hard time recasting her because that that's not <laughs> especially at that age, you don't get a whole lot of action stars from women. Well, yeah, and that that part just it it fits Michelle Rodriguez like a glove too. It 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 is so her. The best compliment you could give that role is that Michelle Rodriguez could have played Hillary Swank's role in Million Dollar Baby. Hillary Swank could not have been Letty. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, then, what's the worst performance then, Zach? Uh, I'm gonna have a tie. My tie is Rob. Can't go tie. You can't take two people when you're the first to go. Oh, I can't cast recast Charlie's Theron either. What is there? Every freaking rule. I have to, geez, mention man. one, and you can mention the other one at the end since fine. you're going first. Fine, I'll go with um, uh, Rob Cohen as the Pizza Hut delivery guy. But I also had Neil Moritz as the Ferrari driver. Anytime oh. you got those writer directors who are making cameos, and they, they these are two of the most obvious cameos imaginable for these uh, writer directors and Rob Cohen's an asshole. I mean, we can talk about that later, but it's just totally unnecessary, totally indulgent. And they take away from the scene and it's not, they're not even, they're not even well known enough to have cameos in their own goddamn movie. I is Rob it. Cohen a notable person. Why, why are we supposed to know who he is? He's the guy he, he, he directed this. He directed triple X. Uh, he's uh, he was one of the producers of the whiz back in the seventies. He worked at uh, Barry Go Gordy's Motown records. Uh, he uh, is an asshole. So you uh, read a book about him. Like what, what makes him an asshole? Yeah. Well, he, there were, there were sexual assault allegations leveled against him uh, on the set of triple X. So he's been canceled, but uh, oh, he was, yeah, yeah. he was a prominent a producer for a long time uh, in the seventies and eighties. And, and um, yeah, so 
He's kind of it, he's kind of been blamed for the reason Asia Argento never had an, really another role after Triple X. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I went with first off. I think there are a lot of candidates for worst performance in this movie because some of the acting isn't necessarily what you would call stellar. So when <laughs> I was coming up with uh, with who I was going to pick for this, uh, as Goose would say in Top Gun, the list is long and distinguished. Um, but I'm going to go with, uh, I've got two written down. I'm going to go Paul Walker. Oh. I, I, I think Paul Walker, wow. every line he delivers just feels like he's reading the line. I, 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 I mean, RIP, but the dude was a horrible actor. <laughs> he just had a pretty face and got, and got lucky by getting, getting, getting dropped into this gold mine. There's a reason why the movies didn't work when it was only him. And it did work when it was only Vin Diesel. So that's like choosing Patrick Fugit in in a in Almost Famous. It's a good like, no, it's there's, not. It's a great comparison. Well, and there is a, there's a scene where when they're eating uh, shrimp at that one place, he's like, uh, Paul Walker goes through an entire line, and then he stops like a word from the end, and then he repeats the whole line <laughs> as if like he thought like, okay, I'm gonna do that again. And they kept it in the movie. He's like, I know there's no way in hell like, you pay for all the shit that's under the hood of those. I know there's no way in hell you pay for all the shit that's under the hood of those cars. <laughs> I was, I'm like, well, why do they keep that in? Like, or was that was that that couldn't have been designed, but it was super corny, and that's why it's also a Patrick Future thing. Ask me again. Um, no, uh, no, no my, my, my 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 favorite my favorite uh, moment of Paul Walker in this is is when they discover him in uh, uh, or when Vince discovers him like breaking into Hector's place, and and, it, and it's like. I owe you a 10 second car and in there he's got, and he goes through this whole list and, and it's like, dude, this is the worst acting I have ever seen. <laughs> I felt that then wow. it's still the, it's still the case. Paul Walker. I mean, RIP, but Paul Walker was, was not a, he was, he was in some good movies. Uh, Todd, did you ever see running scared? Yeah, it was like, an that's awful a pretty movie, good, but he was good in it. He was good in it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't an awful movie, but yeah, it was, was, it was like one of the worst movies of that year. But yeah. Oh, you didn't like the scene where he got the hockey puck in his mouth. I that, that was compelling entertainment. He was not a bad actor though. You know, the skulls is not a bad movie. And, uh, I don't know. Wasn't he, was he in, um, that football movie? Yeah. Varsity blues. Yeah. He he's not bad in that. Takers with TI, you know, that not a too. fan. Not a fan of him in this. How about Flags of Our Fathers, Terry? He was good in that movie. He yeah, exactly. That. Exactly. Yeah, it was not good in this. The man He's... could act. <laughs> He'd also have a pretty face. Yeah, that he didn't. He didn't show it in this. I'll say. I'll say that. Todd, who's your worst performance? Uh, I have Bo Holden as Ted. Who is the guy who's uh, Johnny Tran of Ducks and is asking where the engines are? Yeah, he he was pretty bad too. <laughs> like, That's a better pick. Like even when he's got he's getting like oil pumped into his mouth, he's like in a warehouse, in a warehouse, man. I'm like, why would he say it like that? Even just, like I don't know, it, it was a bad performance and it was a miscasting. I don't know that guy looked like they just like tore him out of some like random office building. We're like, okay, <laughs> say these lines. Yeah, that one that one was pretty bad. My my honorable mention for worst performance was Ja Rule, because I mean, the, Monica, the, the, uh, Monica, <laughs> Menage. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, 
Todd, you can go first on this one. Amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller. It is RJ Devira as Danny Yamoto because he is uh, he's in the, the first race and while everyone else is like pumping their nos or getting like <laughs> mentally prepared for the race or like Dom is like firing up his music, like he's sitting there playing Gran Turismo on his dashboard and really badly at that. Like he like, it like really he badly like crashes into the wall. I'm, I'm like, oh, that takes me back. Seeing that old PlayStation 2 controller and watching Gran Turismo. But yeah, that guy. And then, I mean, then he obviously comes in fourth place. He even loses the jaw rule. So, but he's awesome. <laughs> That's a great pick. That is a great pick. Zach. Um, my Big Tim High Roller Award goes to Kevin Smith as the KJ Transport truck driver. Because listen, okay, the guy's got skill. He is operating a shotgun one-handed <laughs> while driving the semi-truck. Not only is he operating it one-handed, shooting Vince off the truck, but then he switches hands and tries to shoot at Letty. That's impressive work. And I know they're whole, they're going for the whole like dual thing, you know, the, the the truck driver who's never seen, he's always kind of backlit. But we need to talk about the truck driver vigilante subplot in this movie. The whole reason why Brian is assigned to this case is because the FBI is concerned that the truck drivers are going to start <clears throat> kicking ass. And they are not happy with the idea of vigilante truck drivers. And, I mean, what is this? Like, freaking Hoffa? Like, the Irishman? Like, these, these truck drivers are going to... So, But then when you watch this truck driver operate the shotgun while driving, it's like, damn, maybe maybe they got a point. So I'm going with Kevin Smith. He's also the director of Clerks. So uh, he, you know, mul- obviously a multi-talented individual. I, I, th- I think that should be, like, the villain of the 10th movie. Hmm. The the return of the truck driver. Whatever happens I, to him. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand their strategy either. Like, why don't they just, like, slam on their brakes or something? Like, they have shotguns. Like, what are they really worried about? Like, they could take out a couple of cars, maybe. And then, even if they're killed, like, they're going to get killed probably by the person trying to break into their truck. So why don't why don't they just, like, slow down and, like, take them on or something? Like, they, I mean, I think their, their trucks are shot to shit after that. How are they going to explain that to their boss? You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It, like, it makes no sense why why they actually just keep rolling down the freeway at full speed <laughs> to try to take these guys on. Do, do you guys remember a conversation we had about 13 years ago about a Patrick Swayze movie named Black Dog? That's a great trucker movie. I mean, that is like a direct to we, we had it when I went up to Seattle. Remember, we saw the Angels and Josh Allen was there and we, we saw the Angels play the Mariners. And I was trying to tell you guys, Black Dog is a good trucker movie. And obviously that didn't register. So it, I, it's also about I've still never truckers. seen it, but Josh, Josh agreed with me. OK, shout out Josh Allen, wherever you are. I'm, he's I'm sure he's a, li- he's a listener. He's, he's, he's a listener. listener. He's a fan. He's yeah. given us five stars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. Oh, it's my turn. My amazing Larry, Big Tim, High Roller, favorite minor character is Hector. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, he, he just kind of shows up and acts like he owns the place. Even though everyone defers to Dom, Hector still kind of acts like he owns the place. <laughs> And, you know, half of it is attitude and he's he's got it. And yet everybody loves Hector. And then as soon as I saw him, I was like, 
I started seeing him in everything. I remember when this came out. It's like after that, he popped I, up. That I act think was the same a, name in Bruce Almighty. Yeah, no, uh, Noel Guglielmi. He pops up in like everything for the next five years, <laughs> and every time I see him, it's like, hey, it's oh my Hector. god, he's got like he's got like thirty <laughs> movies in pre-production right now. He's like the Eric Roberts of pre-production. He's got a ton of shit. Uh, Shout out to no- Noel. Yeah, go kicking it. So, so that's a that that's my favorite minor character. All right, uh, Spider Stickman Award, uh, and uh, and the Billy Bad Douchebag. My Spider Man or my Spider Stickman is uh is what not Spider? We decided that School of Rock. School of Rock. Oh, that's, it was gonna be called the Spider Stickman. We should. We, it just kind of. It just ends up sounding like Spider. Who was the original Stickman? We we named it for. I don't know. We never had one. We never had a name for the stick man. Can we think of someone better than Spider? Spider doesn't actually get it in in that movie at all. We, <laughs> it's all speculative. All right, we'll have to rethink that. But I'm going with the Ferrari guy. Um, he, he's he's the stick man. I mean, because he he obviously has has a wait. Has Neil one Morris, the, with the writer of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh come on. I mean, he he gets smoked, but at the end of the day, he still has a Ferrari. And a girl. So. You get smoked in more ways than one. Is that what you said? Ah! <laughs> All right, Zach, what do you got? I'm going with Glenn K. Ota as Johnny's father because, damn, there are a lot of kids at that table. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, do you notice the similarities between Johnny Tran's house and, uh, 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 oh, God, uh, Jack's, uh, who Jack is marrying in Sideways? Shit. Christine. Christine's house. Yes. Did they use the same set? They might have. It might have been the same house. Also, they both live in the same city. Sort of parallels the first episode. I actually wrote this down in my notes. First episode of Breaking Bad, it kind of looks like the house that Captain Cook is busted in. It's like it's like the same. Is that just the neighbor that the upper crust L.A. neighborhood that everybody films in? Sorry. Uh, except Captain Cook was busted in Albuquerque. Albuquerque, but well, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't know if they were filming in Albuquerque at the time, but it, it all looks kind of the same. Maybe that's the point. <laughs> Todd. Todd, Todd, who's your biggest spider well, there, spider stick man? It just it doesn't sound right. <laughs> there are three stick man. There, I mean, obviously Edwin. Is a stick man like he was? He was already banging Monica, and he was about to get a uh, menage. Uh, Brian gets Mia just by basically going to order tuna for like a couple weeks, and but uh, and then Dom, of course, because Johnny Tran's sister. Yeah, Johnny. I I mean I okay yeah that, that's a that's a great he's like I, it's a long story and he's like well we have a twenty mile hike he's like well it was a business deal that went bad and I banged his sister and he's like I was like well that pretty much covers it <laughs> like wasn't that much in that long of a story but uh, plus he's and plus obviously Letty and, and like he does this thing like in that montage where they're arresting Johnny Tran he like picks her up by her ass I'm like I, I've never seen that done ever again I'm like that was that's like the most badass move to like you know initiate. The situation my wife was watching and she called that a top five sex scene of all time now that i mean that's impressive i don't know if i'd go that far but if we're getting the female standpoint in it it it, it got some points that way i guess it's i mean it's awesome he, he he like picks her up by her ass like i've never seen that done before <laughs> it is impressive it is impressive all right billy bats douchebag 
Uh, I'll go first on this one. My pick for uh, the Billy Bats douchebag is Agent Bilkins. Uh, just because he he's just trying to ruin everything. And uh, and yeah, sometimes sometimes you need patience in this stuff and he refuses to have it. And every time he's on screen, he's just like bashing Brian and everything that they're doing. And yeah. And then, well, and then Tanner has to come along and be like, all right, all right. I know he's a douchebag. Well, what about the other he's got agent a point. in the room, too? Uh, he, he He's the one that, like, Brian actually shoves to the ground. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which that's is true. a really hilarious scene, because he shoves it from one angle, and then it cuts the other angle, and all you see is him just, like, plop on his back. And then the scene, like, everyone stops. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I think we need some more FBI guys. That's just what I'm going to say about it. All right, Todd. There's a lot of douchebags. Uh, the uh, one that I'll say is uh, Reggie Lee as Lance Wynn. Uh, because, you know, he's always a douche, regardless of what movie he's in. That guy's in a lot of things, and he's always a douche. And uh, he gets <laughs> slugged by Letty, at least, at Race Wars after the fight breaks out, which he probably deserved, you know. But, like, I mean, what was it? I mean, Prison Break, he was... I, I was going to say, bigger, bigger douche, him here or in Prison Break? I mean, Prison Break I mean, is about as bad. bad as it gets. Yeah, but that, that's him getting typecast, probably. Yeah, yeah. Play a good douchebag. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know that. All right, Zach. You guys are missing the obvious one, and that is uh, Vince, played by... Uh, one of my trivia questions was going to be, can you name the actor who plays Vince? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I look. Yeah, Matt Schultz is Matt, his name. Yeah, and uh, you know, one one of the wise decisions they made in this movie is to not bring him back. Although he does was, come back, does he come back? I, I haven't seen Fast and Furious yeah. Six. He comes. He comes in back in Fast Five in Brazil. Yeah, he shows up again. Nice. I think the but douchey... Leon never does show up again. Yeah, I have something to say about that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> conspiracy theory. The thing that's most douchey about Vince is that. When he's after he is totally abandoned, Dom, right? I mean, all of them have, and they've all gone to the party. And what is Vince doing? But he's rocking out on the guitar, and his guitar playing is the most objectionable, douchiest element <laughs> of his character. Clearly, he was playing it like Spider. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's it, that's the low hanging fruit. It is well, well and everyone treats him like a douche, also. I, I mean, yeah. everyone is like, you are a douchebag. Like I mean, the, the whole, whole scene all... where me is like, what What was that restaurant you were going to take me to? Oh, yeah, cha-cha-cha. Like, oh, that's the one you can take me to, Brian. I mean, that that's like, yeah, you're a douchebag. Everybody knows it, and I'm going to put you in your place. Make your own goddamn popcorn. <laughs> I almost feel like Vince could have been played by Nicolas Cage because I really want Nicolas Cage to say the word cha-cha-cha. That sounds like Nicolas Cage vocabulary. Oh, yeah. But why, why do they even try to save his life? Obviously, Brian tries to save his life to get an in with Dom because of the whole family dynamic. But why do, do any of the other characters care about him? Let him die. That's a flaw <laughs> with the movie. Let okay. Him... But here's an interesting thing about Vince, though. Vince is a douchebag. He's an idiot. He goes off the rails so quickly. But he's the only one that has it right. He's the only one that from the start is like, Brian's a cop. Brian's a cop. Stop. Brian's a cop. Brian's a cop. But he but he's an asshole in doing it. Like he's not 
If it was anybody else that said it, Dom would have listened, but because Vince was doing it like a jackass and was fighting him in the street <laughs> over a sandwich, <laughs> I, 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 I think it was like, okay, not a Nobody reliable likes source the tuna here. here. <laughs> yeah, go to Fat Burger. You can get cheese and fries for two ninety five. dollars <laughs> the most lame product placement ever. Uh, Another douchebag I had was David Douglas as the Rasta driver, who's the guy that races against me, uh, uh, Letty. Oh was, yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, because he—I don't know—he pretty much like degrades her for being a woman. Really douchey thing to do. It is. It is. What's the best scene in this movie, Zach? Uh, I think the first street race. Um. I mean, when, when you got the animations and that kind of really clumsy 2001 CGI, you got all the characters there. My favorite thing about the street race is that they go on the street race and then somehow inexplicably the whole crowd is also there at the end of the race. It's like, no, they didn't go in a circle. How do they get down there faster than the freaking cars? Okay. Um, I think that's it's. I wasn't a- at the at the end at the actual finish line. There were like two people there. But then they drove around. That's because Brian like spins out, and then they uh, like <laughs> well later he comes back around to the start. Again. Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Lost me. Okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> my my flaw with the first street race is how does a ten second quarter mile take two minutes? Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> that, that too. I don't think they were going a quarter mile in that one. <laughs> yeah. That was like a going all the way across by city like race. No, it was. It, it, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. It was quarter mile. They only race quarter miles, right? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I in one of them, and I think it may be in the third one. They go and they actually loop around. <laughs> I don't know. Well, third one, they're like drifting through parking garages and stuff. So. Todd, do you do you think this movie is better than Gone sixty seconds? I, I think it's I think it's a vast improvement over Gone sixty seconds. If, if I'm being honest, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> it's like choosing between children. Sec- yeah, I've gone. In, I've seen Gone in sixty seconds more. I like based like who my favorite people in the world are on Gone in sixty seconds. But yeah, this is probably a, a better film. <laughs> you want to call it that? I don't know. I'd say I'd say like the the action is better in Fast and Furious, but the acting is better in Gone in sixty seconds. Like, could you totally see like Giovanni or BC doing a vastly superior job at playing Jesse? Yeah. It basically it's basically the same character. Yeah, okay, and obviously but... Sway would be Yeah, uh, yeah. Angela Jolie would be a lady, yeah. But yeah. the, okay, but when 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 Brian arrives to the house, right? Jordana Brewster, oh my God, it's Giovanni Ribisi. That doesn't work. That that whole no. element of I gotta look no, better as Jesse. No, oh. Brian. Oh, as Jesse. Oh, like like Dom. Oh, I'm I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, I I freaked out. I had to run. I'm, that. I don't know. I just I, I I keep thinking in my head Terry's hatred of Paul Walker's acting. I guess that's what I was just <laughs> subliminally interpreting. He's good uh, in this movie. What's wrong with him? Do you know that he has the exact same voice as Keanu Reeves? I realized that during this movie. Oh, I can see that. I can see that. All right. Well, back to the topic at hand. Best scene in the movie. Yeah. Todd. 
<laughs> you go next. <laughs> well, Zach kind of just mentioned it. It's that first scene at the house because that that scene that scene's awesome. The way it it like from what they're coming off of, they they like show up in a taxi and then you know like he goes to every one of them and he treats them in their own individual way about like why like he without saying anything he just like looks at them and like they know like you really screwed up for not coming to get me until he gets to vince of course he's like and then he asks if that's your beer or not which i've always thought like why why does that corona have to be vince's beer like the whole house is filled with only corona why is that one vince's beer and he has to enjoy it i always thought that was weird and you're like like because the buster <laughs> kept me out of handcuffs and the, like the whole the buster like, came back for me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the buster brought me back and i mean and then like the whole thing kind of just like flows through almost like a, a scene in boogie nights or something like you you get to see every character in that in that scene doing their thing and uh and two chicks randomly making out yeah no reason. And that's why that's why Dom didn't want to give her a, a, a massage because he's like, look at all our guests. <laughs> and then he doesn't even know. So I've got uh, so for my best scene, I've got two things written down. First is post race of the first race when you truly see the the magnetic uh, personality of Dom when he's when he's just telling off Brian for. Or how he ran that race, and uh, I mean, you—that's that—that's that moment. Like, dude, this guy really is a god of in this culture here. And Todd, I'm I'm surprised you didn't say your favorite minor character was like every person standing behind Dom as he's going around the circle there, and their overreactions to everything he says. Because we've always talked about how that is ridiculous and amazing. Oh man. Well, they do that with, with, with Monica telling off Ja Rule, too. <laughs> like, they do. Like, oh. they do. And, and the the other one, I mean, it's it's all Vin Diesel scenes. The other one is the introduction to the muscle car and him, him telling the story about his dad and, yeah, and how he ended up in prison. Uh, that That's that's showing who, I mean, that, that's Vin Diesel showing off why he's, why he's the right person for this role. Okay. And why um, he can play a tree eventually. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I can eventually be Groot. Um, so the next category we usually do is if there were a sequel. But, oh God, uh, that's yeah. it. <laughs> if there was ever a movie to never do that category for. I would ask what's the best sequel, but I like I said, I can't tell them apart. I don't remember which one's which. Todd already said his. What? What was your favorite sequel? Oh, oh yeah, six. Six. Yeah. What? All right, then let's go on to uh, to flaws, outdated, and conspiracy theories. Todd, it sounds like you have some conspiracy theories. Well, I just want to know yeah, what happened to, about to Leon, oh, which could Leon. could be a sequel that we never get because I don't know if he's ever going to show up again because Dom says or, or like Brian's like, "Where's uh, Where's Letty and Leon?" and he's like, "Well, they're long gone." Well, it's <laughs> apparently they're not that long gone because Letty comes back and then dies and then comes back again. Like where the hell is Leon? Like he, I know he just showed up one day and then now he's gone one day. And I guess Jesse died, so maybe they were buddies to begin with. But still, like I want to know what, what, like what happened. Like Vince comes back. Like Leon was one of my favorite characters. You know, he tells the pizza man off. You know, like hey, pizza man, find another way home. <laughs> you know, and, I mean, they show up one day and leave one day. They're just like Barry and Dick. I thought that too. That's a little conspiracy theory. But um, I don't know. 
I want to know what happened to that guy and why they why they haven't like they have brought back so many people. They haven't brought back Ja Rule or Leon. Those are the only two. Well, and I was looking at it was he was played by Johnny Strong, and I was looking at his uh, IMDb page, and it said he had an uncredited role in Fast Five and was involved in flashback scenes in in Fast and Furious Six. Uh, yeah. I, I think what's going to happen is you're going to get to a point where where everything is like about to end, and then all of a sudden he comes in and saves the day, a la Han Solo in uh, the first Star Wars movie. See, it is Star Wars. I'm telling you, this, <laughs> this is the Earthbound Star Wars. He, he's been stalking Dom the whole time, and then he just pops up and let's blow this thing and go home. As... <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So my my question is, I want to know what happened to the diner. Like the first time we see Dom is he's like running a diner and Mia is the waitress. What happened to the diner? Like we never see it again. The house, no. it, the house is like the one thing that 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 endures from the first movie that sticks no, around. They're running a garage in a diner, and they never go back. <laughs> never. They never go back. Nobody else ever orders tuna again. Without crust. Yeah, without the crust. Well, they're hardly ever in LA anymore either. That's true. That's true. But they're always they always end up back in the house. I also found it really funny that that Vince was gonna walk away forever, but a man's gotta eat. So it's like I, I would have left, but damn that barbecue chicken's good. <laughs> it looked really good too. It did. It did. He already put the barbecue sauce on it and then he was yelling at Mia to give him the dry rub, and I'm like, Well, <laughs> you can't do both. <laughs> You figured that out before. <laughs> Is that a real thing where the person who grabs the food first has to stay say grace? That feels like it's a real thing. That feels I thought, a, like I thought a very that was authentic. Be a trivia question: How many or what things does he think <laughs> the heaven or the heavenly that spirit? Been, that would have been a tough one. That would have been a tough one. Your heavenly the night spirit injections and something yeah. overnight parts from Japan. Uh Zach, you got anything you want to mention? Yeah, I'm very curious about the house that the FBI is in, the Eddie Fisher built for Liz Taylor. I thought that was going to be a trivia question. <laughs> I thought it was like, too, yeah. What What is that? Was that just some like winking at the camera by the screenwriter? Like, just, Why isn't this just at FBI headquarters? Why do they have to have it at this house? And they're all having iced cappuccinos. They're not drinking coffee. It's like these very specific details that this asshole writer wanted to add in the screenplay. Can you talk about David Iyer, the writer? <laughs> Well, or Neil Neil M. Morris. No, David a, David Iyer. The reason why the movies suck after this is because he wasn't involved in any other ones. <laughs> it just seems like an oddly specific detail about about the house. Um, uh, the DVD and digital camcorders. I I love it. I, that's my favorite part of the movie. Watching it in 2021. That this that these that these yeah. DVD players would be worth more money. And like the and, 30 inch. TVs, <laughs> yeah, the little like plasma hey, there, TVs. There was a there was like a twelve inch TV VCR <laughs> combo in that truck, man. And it's worth it's worth risking your entire life for. All right, in spite of the fact that you routinely blow twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars on these cars, but you're going to stake your whole life, your whole reputation, your whole operation on uh, illicit uh, DVD players that are being stocked in trucks. You know how expensive that shit was? <laughs> it was really expensive to buy a DVD player. 
in 2001 no it wasn't yeah, it's, I, yeah it, it was. wasn't I had I, I had a DVD player back in 2001. It wasn't that. I mean, it was it was a little. It, it was maybe 40 or 50 bucks, but it wasn't it wasn't outrageous. It wasn't worth trying to risking your entire life to try to illegally transport across state boundaries. You know, I mean, I, I cut like a, maybe a thousand of them. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I also thought it was un- uh, Michelle Rodriguez and Jordana Brewster look uncomfortably similar in this movie. I thought Jesse's death was a blatant ripoff of Ricky's death in Boys in the Hood. I don't understand why they have to steal anything. I feel like they're doing just fine with their car op- their, their their car shop and their restaurant. Like why Obviously are they they're not? I, I, I mean, really? I, they they seem to be doing just fine. I nobody it, was in that diner. There's no big last score, you know. Um, and uh, I thought the soundtrack felt very mad in 2002. <laughs> And then my conspiracy theory, my big conspiracy theory is that the guy who killed Dom's dad was actually Nicolas Cage in Willy's Wonderland because he was a janitor. (laughs) Brilliant. I like it. I like it. All right. LVP MVP. I talked about mine earlier on. So uh, let's go Zach next. Uh, I guess my MVP is is uh, <coughs> David Iyer because if Todd is right and he wasn't part of the sequels, then he's the reason that this movie is good. Um, and God knows that guy has suffered a lot in the last few years. So let's let's give him some recognition on this podcast. David Ayer, you know, shout out. Once made some great movies and uh, Training Day. May, maybe he'll <laughs> end of watch. Maybe maybe he'll come back. Fury. We we love David Iyer on this podcast. Always welcome as a guest. And uh, my LVP in this movie, uh, Rob Cohen, because he's an asshole. Much established. All yeah. right, Todd. Uh, well, I, I, the LVP is the undercover philosophy of the LAPD. I really don't understand what they were trying to accomplish yeah. with Brian. And like their strategy made no sense to me the more I saw the cops. Well, and- think about all the thing. Everything would be thrown out in court. Like how, what, what court of law would hold up what he does in this movie? I'm sorry. I didn't exactly. mean and then, go, yeah, go they were like, yeah, I mean, you, you, I don't care if you put a gun to his head and blow your cover to smithereens. Like, yeah, that's a good thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my MVP, I mean, I could say Paul Walker and Vin Diesel because they kept this thing going for so long. But I'll say the stunt team because there are a lot of really awesome stunts and car chases. That's a good call. Including the the whole Vince sequence, like that thing looks awesome. I don't know how they shot it, but that thing looked really cool when he's stuck to the truck. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Well, and there's some stuff that you just can't you can't fake that they had to be doing too. All right, quote of the daytime: strawberries, not the cheese. Womack with a little sex in it. Quote of the day. I'm going to go first. Uh, my quote comes from the one and only Paul Walker. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a sentiment I have often when I have to face either of you in trivia. And he says it after the first race, he looks, he smiles at Dom and goes, dude, I almost had you. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, that's my quote. That's my quote. <laughs> Zach, how about you? Uh, my quote comes from Bo Burnham inside. Uh, this is a song. <laughs> Welcome to the internet. 
He says, see a man beheaded, get offended, see a shrink, show us pictures of your children, tell us everything you think, but start a rumor, buy a broom, or send a death threat to a boomer, or DM a girl or and groomer, or do a Zoom and find a tumor in your, here's a healthy breakfast option, you should kill your mom, here's why women never F you, here's how you can build a bomb, which Power Ranger are you, take this quirky quiz, Obama sent the immigrants to vaccinate your kids. I don't believe that, I, that's just his song, good lyric. <laughs> I have to watch that. All right, Todd. Well, in response up. to that, I will quote Dom at the end of the movie, and he says, that's not what I had in mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. That is a perfect way to close this out. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back at you next week with a review of Fast or F9. F9 is what it's called. F9. Uh, to kind oh, of wrap great up. keyboard shortcut, too. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk talk to you then. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together. Well, it's officially F9, the Fast Saga. It's the name of the movie. As if we needed to be reminded. <laughs>